Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, an independent Formula One podcast brought to you by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Oh, it's going great. How about yourselves? Not bad, but I'd like to introduce you to someone. Maybe you've heard of him. Joe Saywood. Hey there, Joe. I have to say I'm delighted that Spanners introduced you because I'd be terrified to mispronounce your last name. Uh, don't worry, everybody does. Fair <laughs> enough. And, uh, definitely me included in that. Joe, it's been a very exciting and emotional week or so in social media. Very glad you could join us. Definitely interested in hearing some of your opinions on the FIA trial. But first, if you don't mind, there's a bit of news this week other than Sebastian Vettel, believe it or not, if you wouldn't mind addressing such things. Happy to. Cool. First of all, something we're all very emotionally invested in is the British Grand Prix. I intend to make Friday practice this year and take my little seven-year-old down to see some uh, some racing, some of the minor categories, and be there maybe when it's a little bit less busy so he can go around on his push bike without knocking too many people over. But what we heard today is that the the circuit is looking to invoke a break in its contract, I think, that ends next year. And it's made a lot of people worry that there's not going to be a British Grand Prix or there's not at least going to be a Silverstone Grand Prix. Do you think this is gamesmanship? Um, it's a little bit of lots of things. Um, first of all, I'll, I'll give you the full background. There is a break clause in after the 2019 race and um, they have to invoke it before the start of this race, in other words, by Friday morning, uh, before the Grand Prix next week. So um, what that does is it basically cancels the contract, and then they are hoping that either Liberty Media, the owners of Formula One, will come to them before that happens with an offer to stay on, which I don't think will happen, um, 
or to renegotiate the deal on better terms. Now, the risk in that is that somebody else will come along. Um, I think one of the things that uh, is interesting is that this came out just a few days after the Circuit of Wales effectively blew up because their funding didn't get guaranteed, so they're gone. Uh, Donington Park doesn't really want to do it, and Jonathan Palmer's up to his neck in a competition authority um, investigation at the moment because he's got too many circuits already, so he wants to be a bit careful. And he's not really interested in the Grand Prix um, either because the Grand Prix is one of these, what you, I suppose nowadays would call a halo project that doesn't make an awful lot of money, but it does give the circuit prestige. So I think there's a risk involved in the BRDC doing that on the basis that maybe somebody else will come up with a race contract. But is it does it mean anything that Silverstone is kind of so important to the fans or is this just purely a business decision? But is it important to the fans outside Britain? That's that's kind of the question. How how much weight I does mean, it is have? It, is it like Monaco, where everyone around the world thinks about Monaco? Is Silverstone like that? I don't. I'm not. I don't know. I can't make my mind up. It certainly it was the very first World Championship Grand Prix back in 1950. So uh, it's kind of important, but it's changed so much in recent years that perhaps it's sort of lost a little bit of the old feel. Whereas Monza, you, you go to Monza, you know you're at Monza. Um, at Silverstone, you know you're at Silverstone, but it's not like Silverstone used to be. It's a bit like Hockenheim was when they changed it. You know, it's I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, but I do think, you know, they want to hold on to heritage. But the question is whether they consider Silverstone to be heritage. And then backing that up, I'd also say, wouldn't it be great if there was a, a sort of Singapore or Montreal style race happening in London? Ooh, wouldn't that be great for Formula One? A street circuit. Is this, a, is this something, is this a, an inside F1 bit of knowledge, Joe? Yes, it is. There, there's, definitely, there's, there's definitely a plan for a street circuit. Ooh, well, the question I had based on that is, do you think it's important then for Liberty to just have a race in the UK and not necessarily Silverstone? Because they have talked about wanting to have sort of different legs of the championship, like sort of a European leg and a, an American leg, like a North American leg yeah. and, a, and an Asian leg. So would it be important and would that be the leverage that Silverstone is maybe looking to bring to bear on them? Well, look, the, the the point there is that how many races can one fit in? You know, if you've got Asia, which is uh, where does Asia begin? I suppose in the Middle East, you'd say uh, you have the Middle East races, you have the Asian races, you have Australia, which has to be counted as Asia Pacific. Um, and you have a maximum, absolute maximum of eight races per region probably seven because eight would be very hard work so you're looking at europe with seven races now we've seven or eight races we've got that already but one or two of them are struggling quite badly and we also have other people wanting to come in we have we have a very serious bid by all accounts from copenhagen which would be a really interesting um if they can get it off the ground to have what what liberty want to do is have urban races that that create um events lasting a week um, and this is on the off the back of some really interesting research that's been going on about fans who don't watch formula one on television but associate with the sport and they want to go to events and <clears throat> they want to do things that have experiences attached to them but they don't necessarily want to watch it on television they don't necessarily want to read the reports that people like me write but they want the association with formula one so it's a really interesting time everything is up in the air 
And there are some, some questions as to what's the right thing to do. Joe, thank you very much for that. We do have some emails. Um, I ask people to email me at spannersready at gmail.com if they would like to ask questions to this F1 journalist that we know as Joe Sayward. And Nicholas, a.k.a. Heartbreak Ridge, has asked, it's not F1 related, except in the historical sense, but please tell Joe that I'm presently reading the Grand Prix Saboteurs and find it very densely packed, enjoyable, historical, World War II spy story with a racing history lesson too. Sorry, is this a novel based in World War Two, but referencing Formula no. One? No, no, no. It's oh. a true story. Oh. It's a true story about three top Grand Prix drivers, and they were top Grand Prix drivers who became secret agents. And I spent 18 years researching it and wrote a book about it, and I've sold the film rights several times, but no one's made the film yet. But when they do... <laughs> One day soon, you'll be able to, well, you can, you can do it now by buying the book. But it's a most extraordinary story. You're talking about people who won Monaco, people who won Le Mans, proper serious racing drivers. It's a bit like Damon Hill becoming a secret agent. Hey, do you know what? And if you want a swarthy-looking podcaster to play a lead, handsome <laughs> racing driver, look no yeah. further than Matt Trumpet. I, I have a queue of people wanting to play <laughs> the nurse. There isn't a role for a nurse as yet, but you never know. Yeah. If there's enough girls wanting to play the role of nurse, I'll do it. <laughs> You'll play the role of nurse. Not sure anyone's going to no, want I'll, to see that, I'll Joe. I'll write a part into it, you know. So. Excellent. And that's called Grand Prix Saboteurs. Um, we have also a question from Patrick Green. I'm sure you get asked this kind of thing all, uh, all the time, but he's asking about some of the hidden dynamics in the paddock we might know about. But specifically, he wants to know what is the one thing you would change about Formula One? Oh, what's the one thing I'd change about Formula One? I would, I would have no press officers. Oh, so you would just expose the drivers to the journalists raw? Well, I think, I think that, they're, they're, you know, I, Maybe not no press officers because you need to organize things, perhaps. But I would certainly ban microphones from teams being put alongside journalistic microphones to act as security, you know, um, because it inhibits them. It inhibits the drivers from being themselves. And what we need is heroes and the heroes and villains. There are one or two villains about from time to time. And sometimes heroes are villains as well. But you know, what we need is characters um, and what we need is people to engage with those characters. And if if there are two microphones shoved in front of them, one of them being the team police, it's not surprising. You don't get very interesting stuff. Uh, in the chat room, Ferglin says, no, they need a good looking actor spanners. And that wouldn't be so bad had you not submitted a question to Joe. And I now have to decide whether to read that out or not. Dude, bad <laughs> drills. Uh, Joe, um, let's move on to the driver market a little. Not meaning to bury the lead. We will get onto the FIA case. Uh, Matt, I know you wanted to ask about Robert Kubica. Uh, we did cover it briefly, Joe. Uh, but Matt, what was your, your question for Joe? Well, the other one had to do with Auer and uh, Gerhard Berger becoming re-involved all over again. And what the importance of that was. Uh, the hour thing to me is just weird. Generally speaking, drivers who come from DTM into Formula One haven't done very well. Um, and if Hour was going to make it in Formula One, he would have made it through single seaters. So the, if he's going to come in by way of DTM with sponsorship behind him, he's not going to be a, a mega player, I would say. Um, the fact that he's Gerhard's nephew is you know, neither here nor there. Um, but you know, the fact is that Racing drivers generally come to Formula One um, from single-seaters. 
And that is, you know, the sort of accepted norm. It doesn't mean they can't come from other things. But generally speaking, um, we haven't seen that many really good efforts from touring car drivers. Right. And and we're having a big argument in the chat room about whether Kubica is entirely a hype train or whether he really could be competitive again. Come on, Joe, get <laughs> well, excited. I don't know the answer to that because I haven't seen him, but people say that he's as good as he used to be. I'm very suspicious of that. Um, but if people on the team uh, say that, you have to think about it a little bit. The fact is, if he was as good as he used to be, they would have hired him by now. Um, because he was an ace. He was he was absolute top liner. So the fact that that hasn't happened would suggest that my previous comments about it being a nice idea um, and a romantic story, it's just a bit of a fairy tale. Um, and I'm, I'm still sticking with that um, because the people who make the decisions told me that. <laughs> it would be an absolutely lovely fairy tale. I think a lot of people are excited for it. But when you think about his age in general, he's, he's only a little bit younger than me. And I can tell you, I'm tired now compared to 25. You should be my age. Um, he is... Uh, He's 35, I think, which for a Formula One, it's the same age as Alonso. So, you know, he's he's uh, he's missed the best years of his career, whatever happens, even yeah. if he were to yeah. come back. Um, and things change as you get older. But perhaps if you've missed something, you're hungry in a way that other people aren't. So you can go on longer. Um, but fundamentally, um, I just, as much as I'd like to see it happen, and as much as I rated and like Robert, I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, it's funny. Well, the chat room are pointing out, maybe a bit unfairly, but they're saying, what could the harm possibly be when Palmer's so far off the pace? Well, they need to finish fifth in the championship because that's what they promised the management. And therefore, what they, they're going to do, whatever it takes. And that if that means getting rid of Jonathan Palmer, they're not going to put in Sorokin because he's, no. he's just a – well, no, because he's a new boy. Why would he do any better than Palmer? True. Palmer has experience. Experience is so important. So if it was me, I would just go and hire the best bloke I could get my hands on. And the best bloke I could get my hands on potentially is Carlos Sainz. Oh, I thought you were going to say Kobayashi. Fine, whatever. <laughs> don't laugh joe don't break no, no, no listen 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 <laughs> kobayashi's lovely bloke very fast has no experience of the current machinery True. he's been out of formula one for an awfully long time so i think the best answer would be carlos science because if you work your way through it red bull can't give him anything next year they can get a reduction in engine costs they have a driver waiting to step into his shoes in pierre gasly they everything fits um except the fact that, you know, Carlos is going to say, if somebody says to Carlos, if Renault says to Carlos, look, we'll give you a three-year deal if you can come in the middle of the season now, what's he going to do? I think he's going to take it. I mean, we've been talking the last few shows about how he seems a very, you know, kind of unsettled character in Toro Rosso. He's made uncharacteristic mistakes. Me and Matt are huge fans of Carlos Sainz, and he's been a little difficult to watch and listen to lately. So do you get the same feeling? He's he frustrated. Might be a bit, yeah, he's frustrated, he's unsettled. Frustrated, yeah. And you're right. He, I, I, he, he, he's got, look, where's he going to go? He's got Dan Ricciardo and Verstappen. And if we assume there's rumors about what the, the clauses are, in Baku, all those clauses got closed. They Neither one can leave now because ah. they will finish third in the championship of the constructors. And the car is, fluke or not, it's a winning car. 
won a race. <laughs> it's true. It is technically a winning car now. So that's what I was yeah. going to ask you next was because, um, you know, when we saw engines blowing up at McLaren in 2012, a very talented driver uh, in the form of Lewis Hamilton got fed up, up sticks and went to the up and coming Mercedes outfit. Which was, I thought, a big mistake at the time. Now, that doesn't, that just goes to prove that I'm not right all the time, doesn't it? But, you know, the fact was that at the time, leaving McLaren to go to Mercedes did not look like a smart move. Benefit of hindsight, of course it was smart. But, you know, it was it was still a risk. Although Lewis, of course, had had Nicky louder in his ear telling him about all the things that Mercedes were doing. And, of course, Mercedes hadn't told everybody else all the things they were doing. So you can see how – well, it's, it's not trying to justify a mistake. A mistake was made. But you can at least see how, when you don't have enough information, you can make mistakes. Do you see a similar situation for Verstappen or do you think he can get over the frustrations of, you know, the unreliability he's had this season? I think he's got half as many points as Dan Ricciardo now. That's not good because um, when you look at it after a qualifying session, who's generally ahead? I mean, the, the, the engine and the team, one way or the other, has failed him far too much. So where could he go, though? Where could he go if he could leave? Well, if Ferrari were willing to dump, the market depends, as I said before, the market depends on Raikkonen. And if Ferrari keep Raikkonen, if they dump Raikkonen, everything blows open. Right. And speaking of reliability, have you heard anything? Uh, I've seen some writing online that Renault are now bringing sort of an, a reliability upgraded engine that isn't actually upgraded, but because it's supposed to be more reliable, will allow them to run it at higher settings than previously had been the case. Do we know anything about that? Is it max proof? To be quite honest, they bring they bring so many updates. Everybody brings updates all the time. Um, so it just really depends on what they want to try and point out to the world. So if they're saying they're doing this, it's because they've got a problem with it um, and they're trying to solve that problem. So the answer is yes, probably they are doing that. Um, but we'll have to see if it works. Okay, do you know what, Ferglin? I forgive you for not accepting that I'm handsome enough to be part of Joe Saywood's film. Gosh, I'd look good as a spy, and you know it. He asks, Van Dorn so far hasn't faced the same criticisms as Stroll and Palmer, even though he's being outclassed by their teammates uh, in the same way as they are. Uh, how come such so few you know, criticisms are being leveled at him. Is it because of the teammate he's up against? Yes. Oh, well, there you go. I mean, how can you, <laughs> how can you conceivably, even if you are exceptional, and I think Stoffel is quite exceptional, um, if you don't have 15 years of experience and you're up against Fernando Alonso, you're in trouble, you know? It, it, it's a bit like Michael Andretti's biggest mistake when he came to Formula One in 1993 was to be sent as teammate. Bad move. You know, if it hadn't been for Senna, he would have looked quite decent. But because Senna was there, he didn't look that great and he got fired. And he's still bitter about it to this day. McLaren had a sort of strength in depth in those days. So we'll see what happens to Stoffel. I think he's frustrated. I think McLaren's frustrated. But I think, you know, um, you've got to take things a little bit uh, in. There's always the, the, the dimension of time when it comes to judging drivers. And you have to have a fourth dimension. Do you think that it's because, yes, we're used to Alonso selling himself and being very proactive and saying, Alonso is best, look at my teammate, I'm ahead of my teammate. But actually, he's been out of the limelight and out of the championship fights for so long that people are starting to kind of forget that he is 
truly spectacular and very fast. I don't think it's necessarily anything really that complicated. It's just the fact he is just a great driver. The one thing, his one failing as a great driver is he's always managing to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Poor team selection. All right, we've kept people waiting long enough. I want to know what you think about the FIA court hearing. Well, you know, I call it a court hearing. I'm imagining that John Tart is there in one of those fancy British wigs uh, and perhaps, you know, the, the cast of Blackadder and Speckle Joe. Are you thinking Joe. about Max Mosley or something? Why? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, no, not Max. that kind of wig, Joe. Oh, geez. This is a family <laughs> show, sir. Oh, geez. Let's skip on from that very, very quickly. Um, look, we're not going to go through the incident, Joe. I, I think on this panel, we're very, very settled on the fact that there was no brake check. We're very settled on the fact that what Sebastian Vettel did was, was very silly. Um, and I don't think we need to sort of revisit that again. But the big news this week was that out of nowhere, the FIA announced that they were going to revisit and reinvestigate to see if there was a further sanction to be placed, to see if it had to be uh, carried over to the International Tribunal. Now, they didn't have to do that. They were under no obligations to revisit it. So given that they did, everyone kind of got this feeling that something was going to happen, some decision was going to be made. And lo and behold, they came out saying no, no further action taken. And it just seemed like a very bizarre step. And then, of course, the internet predictably blew up and you are very much a part of the internet. How did you see that play out? Well, I think with the benefit of hindsight, the first thing, it was a rather a mysterious uh, what's going to happen. We didn't know if there was going to be a tribunal. We didn't know what was going to happen. We knew that the battle was going to go and see them. Uh, why did they call such a thing? The answer is that Jean Todd felt he had to. That's the only possible explanation. Otherwise, you just ignore it, forget it. He was under pressure because I would I would suspect that a large number of people telephoned him up and said, Jean, you've got to do something. Now, Jean doesn't want to do anything. So <clears throat> you call an event, you all sit around for a while, you tell Sebastian what he has to say, he says it, and there is no judgment. It's very weak, very, very weak. I think it was, uh, it's shocking how weak it was. And I've expressed that in print, and I've expressed that to the FIA. They're not overly happy about it, but they do they do understand my point of view. Um, they don't agree with it, um, but they are, you know, it is something that, People who understand the way the sport operates and has operated historically recognize without any question, without any argument, that what was done was wrong. Now, I know there's two or three drivers who said things and drivers say different things at different times and they have different understandings of heritage issues and what's important and what rules are. You know, a lot of them have broken rules over time. And the, the key of the key with all these things is never get caught. Now, Vettel got caught. And yeah. therefore, and it's not the first time he's got caught. You know, he made an absolute ass of himself in Mexico last year. And he's got away with it twice. And this is bad for justice because what happens now? Let's say Carlos Sainz throws a wobbly, crashes into somebody at the next race, goes up before the beak and says, well, Sebastian Vettel was let off. What's the difference? They can't argue. See, Matt, I think you have a very kind of similar viewpoint that they missed a big opportunity here. You know, it was like bad parenting. 
well, it's exactly like bad parenting. You can't say the consequence for this action is going to be a thing. And then when the action occurs, say, okay, well, the next time the consequence will be there if you do the thing for the third time. It doesn't work that way because then your kids rule you and not vice versa. But to me, what one of the astonishing things is if you read the press releases that they put out, the official statements, is it, it literally seems like they plagiarized the Mexico statement to write the Azerbaijan statement. And that's that's bad. But also what's been really interesting is in another sport, which much which I will bring up in cycling, which uh, this is my racing background. I actually raced bicycles back in the day uh, in which uh, Peter Sagan, who could be the equivalent of Vettel in that he was in it for an overall jersey win, got tossed not just out of a single stage, but out of the entire race for doing something that it was much less, to my mind, uh, of an egregious thing. Why did it was Matt, why didn't he just wait nine days and then say sorry? Then he'd have got away with it. Yeah, I know. I, I wish I know. Instead, he went right up to Cavendish to make sure to see how he was doing and to apologize. I don't know. Well, the answer is very simple, and that is that we have different governing bodies. We have one governing body who acts decisively, and we have another one that ums and ahs and says maybe and then doesn't punish people. Yeah, and, and I will ask you this question, although I think I know the answer. There has never been an instance of intentional contact under the safety car at the Formula One level before, has there? Uh, to be quite honest, uh, I can't remember one. Certainly, there may have been occasions, but the point is, is you know, that people come up and say this happened then and this happened then. There are a number of different things. One is that attitudes have changed, but the other one, the most important one, is that everything is televised from twelve different angles, so you get caught yeah. now. In the old days, when I started reporting races, there were no TV cameras. At I mean, I'm not talking about Formula One, but at some of the races, there were no TV cameras. So a driver would tell you a load of rubbish and you would have to talk to everybody else and then go down and have a look at the marks on the road to find out what had really happened. You know, and so if you think you're going to get away, I mean, I'm not suggesting for one minute that Sebastian Vettel thought he was going to get away with it. He was in such a red mist. He didn't know what he was doing, basically. But but basically, you can't afford to do that. You can't afford to call charlie whiting names on the radio you know this is not smart steve in the chat room says i suspect that after ferrari showed him the footage he was like it's a fair cop gov uh yeah matt he must have just looked at that on the video afterwards and gone oh oh dear oh dear and had a bit of a fist in the mouth moment about all the comments he'd made to the press yeah and and i'm going to say this is someone who actually thinks vettel can be very funny and charming at times definitely yes I was just hoping that whoever was running Ferrari PR had said to him, no matter what you do, when you go before the TV cameras, do not even acknowledge the second incident until we have a chance to sort it out. Because it's the, 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 the PR people at Ferrari don't have enough power to put sugar in tea. Forget <laughs> anything else. You know, these people do not have any power. There is nobody saying this is a good idea. So what is required is one of the bosses to do it. And as there is only one boss and he's busy selling Fiat's, um, you know, that's why there is the mess that they're in. Because they, this hasn't this hasn't reflected on, well on them either. I know that there's a million people out there who love Ferrari, but Ferrari's, as I pointed out in the blog item, Ferrari's public relations by, by way of the press is a disaster at the moment. 
Joe, I'm curious what it's like for people in your position, high profile journalists, uh, bloggers, you know, people like Will Buxton, Karun Chanduk, Martin Brundle, who people really listen to. What's it been like, you know, dealing with this just wave? People must be desperate to know your opinions. And then when you express them, whichever way you go, there's going to be a big angry mob attacking you. Now, how does that just aff- This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. your day-to-day life? Um... Well, it's very, very hard. It depends if you answer. I mean, first of all, if you're <laughs> yes. only on Twitter, uh, you can write an answer, whatever. If you do a blog comment, you have to read all the comments. Or, I mean, halfway through this week, I stopped the comments because I didn't have time to do it anymore. As I've explained to you before, 300 comments at two minutes a comment is 600 minutes. That's 10 hours. I don't have 10 hours a day to give away for free. I have to work. I also have a life, you know, outside. Outside motor racing, harder that may be to to comprehend, but you can't do it. So you do the best you can, um, uh, but people will always misinterpret you. People, there's a whole bunch of the number of times I've been called biased this week by Germans, by Sebastian Vettel fans, by Ferrari fans. They don't understand the concept that that is insulting to a journalist because journalists. Our fundamental makeup is to be objective. Now, I accept that there are some newspapers that if you go work for them, you can't be objective because it's about money. Mm -hmm. But most of us care about what we're saying and we're trying to do the right thing. So when you say you're biased or you're British or you're anti-Ferrari, you're just missing the point. You're just insulting me. And that annoys me. It really annoys me a lot. Um, And to be honest, anyone who resorts to any of those things, nationalism, uh, favoritism, fanboyism, whatever it is they are, it just shows a lack of intelligence. Because, you know, if they thought intelligently, 
they would realize that we're trying to get and find the truth for them. Joe, believe it or not, I can relate. Can you believe some people actually accuse me of being biased? Hashtag 44. Anyway. I was called Hitler this week, so I don't know what you're doing. (laughs) That's small potatoes. Joe, you don't strike me as someone who is particularly biased towards Lewis Hamilton. On this podcast, I certainly am a huge Lewis Hamilton fan, and I'm not shy to tell people because I'm not a journalist. Uh, But to say that you would... The point is, you know, I I get accused of being British. Oh, you're British. (laughs) Yes. Therefore, you're crap. I've lived in France for 25 years. I'm a European. I'm pissed off about Brexit because my country has taken away my right to decide things. But that doesn't mean I'm biased in favour of Britain. Get real. <laughs> I have no strong opinions on Brexit. Matt, how about you? Well, I would say I'd be delighted to be called British and just corrupt instead of what they call me for being American. Oh, yeah. Especially Europeans. But I, I wanted to, to run one more thing because we're talking about missed opportunities here and the FIA. It seems like to me that if I had to categorize or characterize the the stewarding, the judging system is over here, we'd say it's just it's old boy. But really what it is, is is it's almost like we're treating the drivers like toddlers. Oh, he made me do it. So it's okay because it was and we even we say red mist. Now, look, uh, uh, a rant on the radio is one thing, but driving into a car is an entirely different thing. And to me, it feels like the FIA missed an opportunity. To entirely I don't I, I don't think they look at it in terms of opportunity. I think what happened is they looked at it I mean the, the stewards one of them incidentally was an American Danny Sullivan a racing driver a very a very a very eminent racing driver winner of the Indy 500 and stuff like that. So he knows what he's talking about. And he he knew the gravity of what was done. The question was was it the right punishment? Now oddly enough one of the stewards, Paul Goodyear, was also involved in 1997 in Harris. He was one of the stewards that weekend too. When they wow. let, you know, that was a when they let Michael Schumacher off. And I seem to remember I wrote something along the lines of a pox on the lot of you. Mm. Um, and that was called back to the FIA, and they and they went through it, and they took away all of Schumacher's points for the season for doing that. So, you know, there is a bit of um, there is a, a little bit of track record there on on Goodyear's part. Um, but I think that, you know, it's all very well to say they got it wrong. Um, but they're working under incredible pressures. Um, they have to do things in a hurry. There's all the other things happening around them. So and you can you can see them afterwards and you say, look, what on earth did you do that for? Um, and the answer is, well, you know, we were dealing with this. We had the red flag situation. We had people uh, repairing cars and pushing them down pit lanes and all kinds of weird stuff going on. Uh, and we had to make a decision. Now, if they made the wrong decision, they do make the wrong decision. But to be fair, FIA stewards in recent years have fundamentally, with only one or two exceptions, have done a really good job. And and that is down to Jean Todd staying clear and letting them get on with the job and employing people who are sensible. Now, occasionally they get it wrong. But, you know, that's just a question of looking at it, saying, how did that go wrong? And is there something that needs to be fixed? Do we need to replace people who are not thinking up to date, for example? Right. Well, I, I guess what I was saying was not so much the stewards themselves, because I think in, in the heat of the moment, they they probably made the decision they thought was best. But I was talking about the FIA and Jean-Ton in particular, 
taking advantage of this to tell the stewards going forward, we have a new paradigm. And should this ever come up again, this is how you should resolve it. I don't think that it's Jean Todd's role to tell the stewards what to think. The, the stewards are chosen. Um, they all have to have licenses, obviously, but they talk among themselves. They, they share decisions. They share the, the, uh, the reason a decision was made. Um, and it's really quite sensible now. And, and you have to be fair to Jean that that is, has been his doing. Now, in this particular case, uh, you know, it's, it's gone wrong for him. But I think in general terms, it's much better having this than having the last FIA president wading in and, and you know, changing things all the time or finding people large amounts of money, all kinds of things that went on in the past. It's much better to have what we have now. And generally speaking, we do have a result by the end of the day. But in this particular case, it didn't work out that way. Now, a lot of people say you should have the result by the end of the race meeting. Yes, you should. But it doesn't mean if it's the wrong result or the wrong decision that you shouldn't look at it again. And I think a very good example, I, obviously this doesn't work for our American audiences, but rugby have referees off the, off the well, there used to be one referee yeah. and two linesmen. So you had three judges who could look at things from different angles. Nowadays, you have the referee in the sky or whatever he's called, who can look at film of the incident from every angle and make decisions. And he actually decides more than the man on the pitch, because sometimes the man on the pitch can't tell you the answer. So, you know, there are lots of I mean, that's not necessarily the case in Formula One, because the stewards in Formula One have the most extraordinary data and access, which I hope one day everybody will get. Um, and this is something Liberty Media is looking at, is why why can't everybody have what the stewards have? It's good stuff. Yeah, well, wouldn't the immediate response to that be, not that I endorse it, that the telemetry that the stewards have access to is intellectual property of individual teams, and they have to approve that first? Well, not if they agree to let it go in advance. You know, if, if they just signed a thing saying our telemetry can be used. It, it, I don't think anyone's going to learn much from that, to be honest, um, because it depends. You know, obviously, secret telemetry they're not going to use. So okay. it's just a matter of of finding the right amount to make the people happy. Okay, so firstly, I would just like to acknowledge that Joe has made a mistake in that rugby is a terrible, terrible sport that absolutely no one understands and should under no circumstances be watched with children. <laughs> is that because they used you as the ball when you were young, Spanners? I'm too little to play rugby. It's true. I'm so ashamed. Well, I played rugby and I got beaten up a lot. So there we are. Me too. Um, it's It's weird. I mean, yes. We could find a situation where, say, Lewis Hamilton suddenly finds himself with a failing engine or a failing gearbox and he's being lapped and Sebastian Vettel comes up to lap him and he thinks, well, I'm only going to get a 10-second stop and go. Can give him a quick shunt on the way past. No problem. It's called doing a Schumacher, I believe. Too soon. Too soon. It's only been 20 years. Have not recovered from that yet. Um, so what, why do you think that some of the, the high-profile people have come out in favour of letting it go there's been this kind of big thing is it just a fatigue where people have said you know let it go so a lot of people have said yes the decision was wrong but we should just let it go and then you've got people under real pressure like Karun Chandok who I absolutely adore I think he's a brilliant commentator he's a great motorsport personality but you could see the fatigue after a week of being hounded on Twitter where he suddenly came out and basically said do you know what 
if you're not a driver, pretty much your opinion doesn't matter. And it's just a little bit hurtful, a little but bit that elitist. Is, you see, the, 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 it's a very interesting argument. Are the drivers the right people to decide to be the policemen? You know, are they the right people? Are they qualified significantly to do that? Now, there are there is a driver steward, but there are three other stewards who are qualified in different ways. And there is a balance. And that balance generally works. But sometimes drivers, as I said before, you know, they've all done bad things to one another. They've all banged wheels in the past. But th- that's not the point. And that's not... What is significant, what's the, the point that is significant is that Sebastian Vettel, icon, role model, all the rest of it, did it live on international television. And just like calling Charlie Whiting rude names live on international television, if he's going to do it, find a dark corner and do it. But, oh, you know, the thing is, there are no dark corners on a Formula One track. And so some of the drivers who say it was all happened to us, yes, it probably did. But that's not the point. And, you know, I do think there's battle fatigue because I've been suffering from it this week, which is you know, so much. I, I, you know, even if you get a lot of support as well, which mm-hmm. I have, I think I've had more support than I've had antis. In fact, I, I know I have, but you know, just statistically, you can you can work it out. But the thing about the negatives is that the negatives are just nastier and vicious, and it wears you down. You may understand this, but well, it is, it's something that you have to be really tough. To, and I've been doing the blog for I don't know how many years, ten years, and I'm pretty tough. Exactly. And and it wears you down even even so. Well, I was going to say I'm not tough at all. I've only been doing this for a few years, and I can get ten, a hundred really nice comments about what we're trying to do here at Missed Apex Podcast. And it just takes one guy to kind of go lame, and you go, "Oh, I'm crushed. My heart is crushed." How long does it take no, to get hardened I, to this? I'm, I'm only I'm only crushed if there is some if there is some sense to it. It's just, just, just useless insults are no good. I'm much more crushed if one of my colleagues, one of my colleagues yes. says, that's wrong. One of my colleagues, you know, who I respect says, you got that one wrong. And I haven't had any who said that. Oh, week. interesting. Not, yeah. But you did attract the criticism slightly in a very friendly way by the very nice Mr. Damon Hill, who on this rare occasion uh, went against you. But I will say, Joe, that we won't have a bad word said against Damon Hill because he followed our Twitter no, no. podcast Damon account. Is, Damon is a mate of mine going back a, a very, very long time. And my view is very simple. We are allowed to disagree. Yes. But, but I don't, I, I'm not going to change my view because Damon Hill, Hill thinks otherwise. And he's not going to change his view because Joe Sayward thinks the other way. It's just the way it is. And we have to accept that. But Damon didn't come on and say, Joe Sayward is Hitler. Yeah, you know, no, he didn't. He said I respectfully disagree. Biased in favour of Lewis Hamilton. You know, there, there's just a way of there's a yes. way of doing things, and and some fans just don't get it. And you know, anyone can be a hero with a fake name and a fake email address. It's not hard. You're a cardboard hero, though. There's nothing there. Put your name on it if you're going to be rude. Be brave. Okay, well, for the record, my Christian name is Spanners Ready and Matt's is Matt Trumpets. And, uh, you know, just saying, Damon follows us on Twitter, Joe. Just saying. Just don't want to be, make it awkward or anything. Just Man saying. of taste, obviously. Yeah, just saying. Joe, we've, uh, we've, uh, I think this, uh, topic in particular has been explored very, very deeply and we're very grateful to get your view of it. And especially, I think everyone's been so interested in the media storm. It's been fantastic to get uh, a top journalist's view on it. And I love the way that you've kind of just gone, do you know what? At a certain point, I just had to 
chin it off and I just had to sack it. Well, you, you can't, if you take it all to heart, you will explode. Uh, let me tell you a funny story. Um, Ron Dennis came rushing up to me one day in Australia a few years ago. He said, Joe, what do you think? Should I have a Twitter account? And I looked at him and I said, that is the worst thing you could possibly imagine <laughs> to do. Why? He said, I said, because you're a sensitive soul. And after about 12 seconds, you would have kicked your computer to death because you'd have been upset by what people would be saying about you. Don't go anywhere near it. Stay away because you've got to be a really tough nut to be on Twitter and take all the crap that comes at you. You get a lot of nice stuff, too. But at the end of the day, it's the tough stuff and the nasty stuff that it's hard to take. And, you know, that's just the way it is. I just wish, you know, if you read the, the Joe Saywood blog rules, it says a blog is like a house. You come around to my house and I don't expect you to go, oh, I don't like that painting. I don't expect you to say this tea's rubbish or I don't like the cake here. Have you got any other? You know, the, the fact is you're, you're invited into my house. Doesn't mean you can't have polite conversation and say things, you know, disagree with me on things. But don't be rude. You know, just think of it that way and, and we won't have any clashes. You could say the same thing about a podcasting shed, Joe. And I'll quickly say that I went round to my friend Siobhan's house. She had this beautiful pastel painting and canvas on her wall. I looked up at it. I looked at her and I said, that is a fantastic picture, Siobhan. Was that little Bridget? She said, no, that was me. And I was not welcome <laughs> there for quite some time. Joe, if you wouldn't mind, I've just got a couple more things we'd like to ask you yep. about. Sebastian Vettel doesn't always drive his car sideways into another car. Sometimes he drives it forwards very, very quickly. And we're hearing rumours that he could be driving it forwards up to 50 brake horsepower faster than before. The things we're hearing about a Ferrari engine update is phenomenal, like unbelievably phenomenal, the sort of see-it-before-you-believe-it kind of stuff. Have you heard things about a big breakthrough for the Ferrari power unit? Uh, I hear things all the time, but the the answer is always the same. Let's see what it does on the track. Um, you know, they, they lost something at the last race. Gosh, what would that be? I have a vague suspicion that burning oil for fuel may answer that question. There, there's no obviously official comment on this, but I can tell you that they were told not to do it anymore. And that may be why they were not as competitive last weekend. Now, if they've got something else, great. Good for the championship. Why didn't they bring it before now? Yeah. <laughs> no. We'll see. And that's always the way because you can have a bunch of hype about what's going to happen. I think Honda have had a number of bites at hype this year um, about this is going to be the new one. And there you go. Nothing happens. So we have to see the results. Everything is in the uh, in the result. Huh? Yeah, well, I, I, I'm keen on the Honda because I've heard that their 16 horsepower upgrade is in the tank. But um, the 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 rumors about Ferrari were a little bit more substantial about the combustion chamber and using a different composition of cylinder, I believe, but 3D printed. They wanted to use steel because it disperses heat better, uh, but they were going to honeycomb it because they could 3D print it. That's that's the that's what's been printed. Um, 
But I think the people that we have talked to who know about this sort of stuff are saying if it is an upgrade, 50 is probably on the more wishful end of it, would you say, Spanner? Well, yeah. In fact, what I've heard is it's 50 from the beginning of the season rather than like 50 from Baku. Uh, but yeah, it, well, I don't know. It, it's funny. I 50, would like... 50 is a is a fairly substantial percentage. It's huge. That's, that's five percent kind of leap so um to get a five percent kind of leap it's got to be pretty impressive stuff but we'll see you know there's no there's not a lot of point in i mean we can we can go on theorizing about what happened forever uh, let's go and see what happens okay good let's wildly speculate forever no only kidding um i would like to get your opinion though on christian horner who was dying it was clear right from the beginning of the race weekend that he was dying to give away what was going on with the all burning until he eventually just went uh yeah james allison did it uh you, you know he, he just blurted it out all in one go uh now topless pictures aside i'm a big fan of christian horner i think he's done a lot for formula one just by having a bit of charisma and being a bit honest did that surprise you how candid he was about it no, not really, because it was about somebody else. If you asked him for the same round of <laughs> candid uh, information about his own team, he would be rather less open-minded about it, I fear. Yeah, I think Christian Horn is a legend. I think he's absolutely fantastic. All right, then. Here's what everybody in F1's been talking about that we were quite dismissive of on Inside F1 with Joe Sayward. Episode 3 was about a new team coming through, but everyone keeps insisting on talking about Chinese teams. Why won't this story die? Well, because there are people out there who claim they've got money from China. I I, I wrote all about them all in, uh, oddly enough, my You Have to Pay for It newsletter. I can tell you all the people involved. It's all written down there where the money's coming from everywhere. But Mates rates. there is no evidence to back up the fact that this money really exists. The people involved, none of them have any F1 experience. And... They're going about it the wrong way. If you're if you're going around trying to recruit staff before you have an entry, you know, talk about putting the cart in front of the horses. These horses are pushing hard. Are you looking forward to Austria, Joe? Yes. <laughs> um, <there laughs> I was... look forward to every race. But there was I look some... forward to every race because every race is fun and interesting and different. Uh, I, I expect I'll have some interesting times there because I shall probably bump into the, uh, the people who own Sauber. They probably won't be very happy with me, you know, so it'll be fun. <laughs> uh, there were some rumours that they're going to try and restore some of the old track. Would you be in favour of that? I quite like the modern track. I think it's working. The old track was a bit proper, proper old school. But the trouble is they won't do that because it had a blind brow, fast corner, you know, and you can't have things like that these days. Um it's it's difficult because they're apparently they're god fearing folk in Austria and they don't like their church services disrupted by car noise, and that's one of the problems they had on that side. I don't know if you know the Osterreich ring or as used to be. Well, where it turns the first corner where it turns to the right is at the bottom of the hill where it used to climb the hill and it used to go over the top of the hill and across the back of this hill and then rejoin at the top by um, coming around the side of the hill. So basically all the noise now is contained within the area around the pits whereas if they go through on the other side of the hill it goes across to the local villages and the poor old preachers 
and they can't be heard. The only thing is that nowadays there are very few preachers left because they there's only sort of one priest for every ten churches these days. So it's probably not a great issue. But little old ladies don't think that way. So. Oh, Joe, I do used to remember my Sundays. The morning would be taken up, and you would have to rush home to get back in time for the Grand Prix. Not so much of a problem these days. Convert to the dark side, and you get Sundays off. It's a life choice. My father, you may not know this. My father was a clergyman, and oh, I've wow. always said to him that we're in competition. You know, you have God and we're the devil. So there you are. God versus F1. It's your choice, people. It's yours to make. Joe, thank you so much for joining me in the podcasting shed. Where can people find your GP magazine that you produce at the end of every race? GP Plus, Grand Prix Plus dot com um, is one place for looking. If you want to have the newsletter, if you go to the blog, Joe Blogs F1, and you and you click on the photograph of the man who writes it that's me um it will take you to a page which has lots of things all about me including the books by the way ah. and i also write in case you didn't know you probably don't but i also have written books about things unrelated to motor racing gosh like gosh uh like sea captains and ah. stuff like that go have a look just all you have to do is click on the face and you'll find all kinds of exciting things you probably didn't know We'll talk about mates' rates later. And you won't find a thing saying Joe Saywood is Hitler, by the way. But, you know, you can have a look. <laughs> Stop interrupting me while I'm trying to get a discount on your stuff, Joe. <laughs> Fine. Uh, people can follow you on Twitter at Joe Saywood. Thanks for listening, everyone. And be sure to subscribe to Missed Apex Podcast on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. Don't rely on me to remember to post these things. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support the show, we have two ways in which you can do this. First, Tell everyone, tell them that Missed Apex Podcast, as well as occasionally having Joe Sayward on joining them, adds to your general F1 fandom. Things like that really, really help. Word of mouth is fantastic. B, if you are somebody who supports podcasts, then go to patreon.com and search for Missed Apex Podcast. We would really appreciate any support you could give. And if you don't want to do any of that, There is a bonus third way in which you could support us. Matt, this year we are entering the Podcast Awards at podcastawards.com. We are, and we aim to, um, you know, we set our sights small. We wish to crush all opposition. We We want to see our enemy crushed before us, take their lands and hear the lamentations of their women. And no. We have a much more realistic aim. We don't think we actually do have the reach to win the awards this year, but it's a big worldwide competition. It's run from America. I think it's run by Todd Cochran and very, very high profile podcasters are involved in it and sponsor the various topics. This is as big an awards process as podcasting has. However, it's all about the reach of your listeners and the engagement of your listeners. Now, in previous years, what they've done is they've asked people to vote once a day for their podcast of choice. And I would never, ever have dreamed of asking our listeners to shortcut a site and go there every day. And you'd hear podcasts saying, vote often, vote every day. And that's just too much. Would not have dreamed of it. They've changed that this year, thankfully. Once you're registered, you can just go to podcastawards.com Click on the tab that says nominations are open. You register once and you get to nominate one show in each category. So in sport, it would be great if you could nominate Missed Apex Podcast. Now, 
we don't have to get the most nominations to win. We only have to get into the top 10 to go to a panel of judges. If we could just get into that top 10 to show the world that we have arrived in the sporting category of podcasting, then I think that itself, Matt, would be an achievement. So you're basically saying all we got to do is finish in the points and we could win the world championship. Exactly, exactly. Imagine a Formula One race where you finish 10th, get one point, but the stewards say, nah, you deserve it. You can come first. But to even be considered in the top 10 of the sporting category worldwide would be fantastic. There are 33 podcasts in the sports category. So if you could spare that vote for us, it would be fantastic. It's podcastawards.com. Or you can look for the many, many excited tweets from at Missed Apex F1. Thank you very much. Please consider registering and nominating us. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.